This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in the Fox Valley and Stevens Point, and all those who watch us online as well and all over the world. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. If you could not tell by my dress, today is Valentine's Day. I also have hearts on my underwear, but I will not show that to you this morning. Every man has a line you cannot cross. But uh, glad you are with us. And before I forget, uh, we need to take our offering. I forgot last week to take the offering, which is a little awkward. But uh, so if you would join with us uh, as we do our offering, uh, many have already given recurrent giving online. It is our goal that the vast majority of people would do that. If you attend Celebration Church on a regular basis, if you would go online and sign up for that, that would be so helpful. There are many churches in America today who no longer take offerings at all. I would like to become one of those churches. We're still not there, but that's because 80, 90% of the people who walk in their doors have already signed up for recurrent giving. We haven't gotten quite to that number yet, to say the least, so we still have to take the offering. So uh, at your various campuses, there will be buckets at the door on the way out that you can put in your offering then if you like, or you can give online at celebrationchurch.tv or use our app, or you can text to give, which a lot of people do. Uh, you do that by going to your messaging, whatever thing, and you're sending a text message to the number 77977. And then in the message part, you put CCWI, uh, which stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin. Do not type Celebration Church Wisconsin. <laughs> Just type CCWI, space, and then the dollar amount, with or without the dollar sign, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. So that would be helpful. Those of you who were here last week and thought, this is awesome. I got a day off. Uh, cut us a break and be extra giving today <laughs> to make a friend. It is also Missions Sunday, which would account for a... This is, uh, as Pastor Keith talked about in the message there, we give to missions all over the world. And I'm trying to find my deal here. 
so I can do my missions giving. 77977, right? And CCWI and the word missions. Is that a, missions, there we go. And the dollar amount. Three hundred thousand. <laughs> there, ta-da! So, anyway, uh, hopefully you all do that. Uh, CCWI just for your regular gift to the church, and then if you would give something special uh, for our missions efforts, uh, that would be appreciated as well. Okay, today is known as. Despite the fact that it's Valentine's Day, I'm not going to preach a Valentine's message. And all the single people said, praise the Lord. <laughs> all right, so today, we're looking, today is what's called Transfiguration Sunday on the Christian calendar. And let's take a look at that today. This is an event that happened uh, in the Gospels. We're going to read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, starting at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. So there's Peter, James, and John, just Jesus. There, there, he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So he stands before them, and all of a sudden, just glows incredibly, stunningly bright. He's being transfigured. Figured. It's the divine nature of God and the human uh, nature of Christ all coming together. And he just buzzes bright. And these guys, when they see, it just freaks the willies out of them. You know, you can imagine. All of a sudden, these are men who've never seen a light bulb. Oh, you can imagine what this must have done to them. So he just starts transfiguring before them. And if that wasn't enough, there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, I was curious how they would know who it was, but they must have been talking and said, Jesus must refer to them by name. So here he's just glowing like nothing they'd ever seen. And these figures that they knew of from the Old Testament, teachings of scriptures, Moses is right there, Elijah is right there, and he's talking with Jesus. Well, Peter says to Jesus, now we don't know how long this lasts. Again, most of the accounts in the Bible are just horrible when it comes to details. I would love to know these details, but they're not into the details. They're not trying to tell stories. Stories are great stories when you have lots of details. They just give you the basic facts of what happened. And if we don't know how long this goes on, at some point, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Apparently, they thought they were going to be there quite a while. <laughs> Let's build something. So uh, he goes into man mode, let's build something. He said, he didn't know what else to say. They were so frightened. I mean, they are absolutely, they are terrified as they're watching this going on. And then a cloud appeared and covered them as if this wasn't dramatic enough. And then a voice comes out of the cloud. This is my son. I think it probably sounded like James Earl Jones. This is my son. Whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, all of a sudden they saw nobody around there except just Jesus. So here is this incredible event that happens in the scriptures where the divine nature and human physicality of Jesus burn brightly in front of them. And as a sign of the pull between the spirit and the natural flesh, Moses and Elijah appears with them. And what's the significance there? You see, Moses is dead. 
All right, the Bible says he died. God buried him. The only record we have anywhere of God himself burying someone. No one knows where Moses is buried. Uh, God buries him. So when Moses appears, he is a spirit at this point. So that's the spiritual side. Elijah, however, is not dead. You say, how is that possible? Well, with all, God, all things are possible. But there are two people in the Bible that is recorded never died. Interestingly, because the scripture says that every man must die because of sin and then transfer it into the kingdom of God. But we got two guys here who haven't. Uh, it's interesting why that happened. Uh, what's really fascinating is when you get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. I've mentioned this before. We won't go into detail over it, terrible detail, but, but you can read it yourself in Revelation, the 11th chapter. Revelation is talking about the end of the world, the end time. There is a seven-year period coming that is called the Great Tribulation. When is this going to happen? I do not know, but it is going to be horrible, to say the least. All hell, literally, is going to break out on this earth, and Jesus is going to come back at the end of it to put a final stop to it all. When it happens, we do not know. But as the world turns incredibly dark during this period, and this man comes to power, who's known as the Antichrist, uh, is going to be rising to power, and uh, horrible darkness is going to come. People's hearts are going to be as black as they can be. You think people are in a bad place today or have been in the past? Wait till this comes. It's going to be really bad. And uh, anti-faith sentiment will be at an all-time high. They will persecute anyone who doesn't go along with the situation. You think it's bad today, and it is bad today. I, you know, even to this day, there's persecution of Christians all over the world, even increasingly in our own nation and in the West. Uh, Anti-Christian hatred, I, I want to use the word bigotry, but it's actually hatred now, is rising more and more in our nation. It's not overwhelming, but you'd have to be blind not to see it. There is a movement of people in great power who just hate Christians, hate people who believe in Jesus. And the vitriol toward that is going to get worse and worse and worse. And uh, it's going to be extremely bad. Well, in the midst of all this, God has always reached out to people, even in the worst of situations. And Re Revelation says there's going to be all of a sudden these two guys are going to show up and are going to start preaching up a storm. And it doesn't say who they are. Uh, I think it's going to be Elijah and the other guy, his name was Enoch. Neither one up to this point have ever died. They're just parked in eternity. And they're probably even separated from time. For all I know, they're probably up there for a week and all of a sudden they come back here and it's been thousands of years, you know. Who knows what's going to happen. All we know is these guys are going to show up. The Bible says for over a thousand days they're going to be preaching up a storm. And these people are going to hate them. But everyone who tries to arrest them or come after them is going to drop dead. <laughs> And they got to fight. Nobody's going to mess with these people. And I mean, everybody hates them. You think you've heard preachers you don't like. Man, these guys are going to be preaching and they are going to be doing miracles and all kinds of stuff. And the world, the Bible says, is going to hate them with an incredible hatred. And then finally, the Antichrist and the beast, the false prophet, all these visuals that they use of this, is going to overpower them and kill them. And the Bible says they are going to finally be killed and they're going to lie for three days. Everybody's going to be so thrilled they're going to just let their bodies lie there in the street for three days. And the Bible makes this prophecy. Now, this is over 2,000 years ago. And you can imagine how hard people used to think about this. It's easy for us today because we know what the world is like today. But they prophesied back there, the entire world will be able to watch this happen. 
This is before satellites. This is before 24-hour news networks. This is before people all over the world. Even the poorest of people in Africa have cell phones. And they're streaming the entire... How? Up until even when I became a Christian in the 60s, nobody thought, oh, this isn't even possible. Because none of that stuff was possible yet. Now today, just 40 years later, it's all possible. They're going to... He said, the whole world will see it. And now we all know they knew this. 2,000 years ago, he could see this. And he says, the world is going to be so thrilled because it's going to be so dark. He said, Pastor, you think it's going to happen right away? I don't. I think it's going to be a while yet. I hope I'm long dead and gone before any of this shows up. I just don't like politics, much less a psycho running the whole world. <laughs> so anyway, it's going to get really bad. And the world's going to be so happy when these guys are finally killed. Uh, and it says they're going to celebrate and they're going to be sending presents to each other. It's like Christmas. They're literally going to be selling presents. But the best part of it is after three days, the Bible says the Spirit of God is going to bring them back to life and they're going to stand up and the whole world's going to go, ah! And then a voice from heaven, they say, is going to shout, come up here! And they're going to zoom off into the heavens and the world is going to be in a state of shock after seeing this. Again, I hope I'm watching this from up there. I don't want to be around. But these are these two guys. Uh, Enoch, we just know, is, is in Genesis. All of a sudden, boom, he, God just took him. He never died. The other one is Elijah. Let's look at what happens to Elijah. This is in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. When they had crossed over, Elijah and the next prophet after him, Elisha, which is kind of like his you know, sidekick learning from him. Uh, Elijah says to Elisha, tell me, what can I do before I am taken from you? Because he could tell, and the prophets were all prophesying, that Elisha was going to be taken. And Elisha says, well, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. What you got, I want twice what you got. And Elijah says, well, you've asked a difficult thing. And you really want some entertaining reading. Reading about Elijah and Elisha. These guys are highly entertaining prophets who had incredible power and did some wild things. He says, you've asked a difficult thing, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Well, as they're walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah falls back. Elijah gets into the chariot. He's taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. Now, it says there are chariots of fire and horses of fire. I'm sure this is Almighty God putting things in a picture that they could understand. If this were to happen today, I'm guessing it would be a Tesla <laughs> zooming in a fire and taking everybody up, Okay. Uh, but anyway, this is horses and chariots. I don't think it's really horses and chariots in heaven because of, you know, that's just all they had at that time. Anyway, Elijah, Elisha sees this and he cries out, my father, my father, the chariots of, and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more and he took hold of his garment and tore it into two because he's from the east and that's what they do, very dramatic when things go wild. So anyway, now we have this transfiguration happening. This flesh yet divine nature of God coming out of Jesus. He's glowing like no one had ever seen. In their words, you could not possibly bleach anything this bright. So they're seeing something. They didn't even know how to describe it. And then we have the spiritual, which is Moses. And we have the physical yet, which is still Elijah. Peter writes about this decades later. This is a transformative moment. In fact, there's very little that we read from Peter or any of the apostles any specific miracles that Jesus did that they zoomed in on in their writings. Man, you should have seen this. But this one, Peter still talks about decades later. We see it in his letter, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 17. Talking about Jesus, uh, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. He's talking about this event. 
saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So here's the interesting part about it. Of all of this, I would have thought glowing like a light bulb would be the most impressive thing. Or seeing Moses and Elijah, that would be impressive. Apparently, the most impressive thing was this voice that came out of this cloud. And he's still talking about it decades later. We were there when this happened. It was powerful. So anyway, I love this idea of this transfiguration because it gives us a picture of what we struggle with to this very day as believers. The struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Now, when we are born again, uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, this is when uh, the spirit part of us comes to life. Every man, woman, and, uh, I was going to say child again. Every man and woman born into the world, because all people are born, including children, uh, are into the world. And we are born, still born, the Bible tells us. We have a f- our physical part. We're like God, tr- three, three parts, like, like God, made in his image, body, soul, spirit. Our body's alive, our soul, intellect, emotions are alive, but our spiritual part is dead. That's why so many people without God to this very day can tell something is missing in their lives. Something is wrong. If you're here this morning and you're even listening and paying attention online or whatever, because you're seeking something, you're looking for something is wrong and they're trying everything they can to fix it and they cannot fix it. The only way that can change it is when Jesus Christ comes into your life and the spirit of God breathes his life into you, and all of a sudden you are born again, the Bible says. It's talking about that spiritual part of you coming alive. All who have experienced it to this day know exactly what I'm talking about. It's why we celebrate. It's why we sing. It's why we do what we do. Because of this transformative moment in our life, we are whole. All of a sudden, everything starts to make sense, even though we cannot explain it and struggle in our very words. We have been born again by the Spirit of God. But let us not be deceived. The flesh is still there. We still got our thinking in our heads and the way uh, that we do. And now because we've been born again, it doesn't mean that we're just automatically spiritual forever. Uh, we still struggle now between this flesh and this spirit that is happening. Paul writes about this in Romans, the seventh chapter, when he wrote, writes to the Romans, verse 15. Uh, and many of you can relate to what he describes here. He says, I, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, because what I want to do... I don't do it, and, but I wind up doing what I hate to do. He says in verse 18, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. He's writing about this struggle. Verse 24, he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death, the struggle that is going on. Now, many Christians quote this and they say, this is the normal Christian experience. This is what every, it's normal when you just keep sinning uncontrollably and you just really don't have any victory in your life and you just suck it up until you're dead and hopefully get to heaven. No, 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 no. He's, not, he's saying this is the struggle without what happens next. He says, who will rescue this, me from this? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, if we will walk out this Christian life with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, makes it possible so we don't live like this in a continual way. Now, do we still struggle? Of course. Sometimes the spirit wins out. Sometimes the flesh wins out. That struggle is there. But we are not doomed to go around just as miserable as we were before we came to Christ. That's an absurd concept. And then Paul goes on to talk and explain. He says, those who live according to the flesh 
have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The difference for you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody listening to me right now, the difference is where is your head at? Are you being, as the King James Version says, carnally minded, which means flesh. I, I use the word meathead. Are you a meathead? Or are you being spiritually minded? And the reality is, all you got to do is stop and reflect. What do you think about all the time? And if you're the kind of person who always is always worried, always going through your head, oh, this is horrible. This is going to be terrible. I don't know how this is going to happen. Oh, we're never going to make it. Everything's horrible. Oh, that guy... Man, if I ever see that guy again, I'm going to punch him in the face. If my wife tells me one more time to pick up my underwear, I'm just going to explode it. And we rehearse these things over and over and over again. And when we're pushed, we fail. And then we're shocked. I don't know, Lord, why it happened. Well, because you're a meathead, all right? And all you're doing is constantly thinking negative thoughts that fill your head. So you've got this flesh and the spirit balance. Which side is going to win? Depends what you think about all the time. If you're constantly thinking about carnal, fleshly, negative things, it's going to tilt like this. Uh, well, I guess this way. The, the, the flesh will rise and the spirit will go down. Uh, but if you are spiritually minded and you think about spiritual things, that's why we should read the Bible. That's why we should, the Bible says, whatever things are good, whatever things are positive, whatever is good report, be nice. Be nice to people. Think about good things. The opposite happens. This nasty flesh starts to decline, and now we are spiritually mad, and now we are living a victorious Christian life, which is filled with blessings, wonderful, glorious blessings. This is the kind of life we want to live. Uh, verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. And that's the end of it. If you're always thinking like a meathead and always rehearsing things, that guy did this to me, and so-and-so called me a poopy head. You're always, my mother-in-law can't stand it. Always living negative things in your head. It's a version of death, and you're going to live a defeated life and certainly not a blessed life. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I don't know. Death, life, and peace. Let me think. Which would I rather have? I've got to think about it for a while. I got to tell you, me, I vote for life and peace. Not happy with the death version in my life. I don't like it when death is surrounding me in all its different forms. And it usually always and only happens when I am being absolutely a meathead and always putting my head in a bad place. Your mind is what determines the amount of victory that you'll have. It's not automatically happening by God. God is, he's like, I don't know why the Lord just doesn't help me. Because you're a meathead. He's not going to do it for you. You have to do it. You have to change the way you think. Start resisting the negative things and start filling your heart and your mind with the positive energy of God and it transforms you. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Your problem is your head. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but I'm telling you that's exactly what we are talking about. There is this struggle, and the key to the struggle is what do you think about? What is in your head most of the time? And for those who struggle and life is bad and they sting, things don't work, and oh, this is horrible, my marriage stinks, and oh, my kids are demon-possessed, and oh, you know, my job hates me, and everything. It's because your head is always in the wrong place. Change the way you think. And the best way you can start it is by reading the Bible. Read books 
about the Bible, Christian books. Watch what you read all the time. Watch what you, the movies that you watch. Good Lord, I mean, there's some really great movies, out there, but I can't watch them after a while. They just creep me out. You know, they're just so negative and nasty. And other things, you know, I go, oh, you know, we try and watch things that make me feel good. Why you want to, you know, I mean, I'm not against thrillers and stuff, you know, but how can you watch that stuff all the time? I would just think, no matter what, somebody's going to stab me the next minute, <laughs> you know, or what are these shows that you guys, that you like watching? Point at my wife here, these uh, murder mystery things. What, what, what's investigation ID? I'm not against those things, but you watch that constantly. And, uh, and I tell you what. Because we'll be in a situation going where, and the first thing she'll say is, oh, this reminds me of investigation ID. So, yeah. Someone's going to stab us. They're going to stab us, and they're going to bury us here, and no one will ever find us, you know? I generally just think, what a nice day. I just don't think about stuff like that because I don't watch investigation ID, all right? Again, you can watch them, but be, even that, be careful. What gets in your head, it will start to dominate and change the way you act and the way you think and the way you feel. Now, all of this blathering, what are you talking about? We are about to go into the season of Lent. We are going to have a service on Ash Wednesday. This Wednesday night, we're going to have our annual Ash Wednesday service. We encourage you all to come. And uh, we're going to be celebrating. We're doing a much more simplistic version of it this year. Uh, because I just want to. And uh, <laughs> you, got, you got too complicated. My brother Ed, you know. <laughs> he gets too deep for me. I, I say, dude, you give me a headache. So anyway, uh, we're, just, we're going and we're going following the tradition. Lent is, is uh, something of Christian tradition. There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about Lent. That's why most evangelicals, not in the Bible, we ain't going to do it. You know? But there are some good traditions that come out of Christianity that are consistent with the Scripture. If it's not consistent with the Scripture, then I'm out. But when it's consistent with the Scripture, I'm in. You know, that's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, some people say, you know, why, why do you pray the Lord's Prayer? I don't know. It's the Lord's Prayer. I kind of think that's consistent with, you know, the Lord, right? Some of these things, even the Apostles' Creed, why did he do that? These things are all biblical concepts. This is what we believe. This is what we're all about. I think these things are good. They come out of Christian tradition. Uh, we, we talk about the Christian calendar all the time. Christians all over the world are celebrating this day, the very thing I'm talking about. And they're going to go into the season of Lent. Lent is a season where you are intentionally telling your body, shut up. Telling your mind, shut up! <laughs> telling your flesh, because you want at some point to be more spiritually minded than fleshly minded. And we're going into a time where it's a time of just reflection and preparing ourselves for Easter. That's what this is about, where we're going to celebrate Easter. And it's 40 days of reflection and fasting. Now, some people fast at various levels. Some people literally fast food uh, or uh, a, a day a week. They won't eat anything or they decide, I'm going to not eat lunch uh, every day or not eat breakfast for the entire season of Lent, or they give up something. I'm not going to have any chocolate, or I'm not going to drink any wine, or whatever else like that. And it's 40 days, and we encourage you. Why, why do you do that? Oh, I really like that stuff. I know that's the point. Find something your flesh really likes and say no. It's called denying oneself. We're supposed to deny ourselves. Your flesh is not your friend. Everything you want is not good for you, though we want it nonetheless. All right? And no, talking to your wife, you cannot give up for Lent. All right? 
I'm ready to sacrifice that, Lord. I'm just here. Don't talk to me, woman. I got 40 days here. All right? Now, if you look at the time schedule, it's actually more than 40 days. Why is that? I didn't make this up. It's just Christian tradition. Sundays apparently don't count. So that means, let's say you give up wine, no wine. On Sunday, you can have wine. Now, it doesn't mean you now get to catch up on a week's worth of wine <laughs> and come to church, blast it out of your ever-loving mind. This is probably not a good idea. Or if you give up chocolate, you now go into a chocolate coma because you ate so much chocolate on Sundays. Uh, it's just, the reason they do that is because Sunday is the Lord's Day. We celebrate. It is not a day for fasting. It is always a day for celebrating, is what we do. So that's what it's about. I encourage you, find something you really, 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 really like and say no uh, on whatever it is. And then uh, give that up for Lent. You say, well, do I got to swear to God? I went, no, no, don't, don't do stuff like that. Jesus said, don't swear about things. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to do it, put on your big girl panties, big boy panties. If you're a big boy, don't put on big girl's panties. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Although mine look like girly panties today. But anyway, sorry to put that in your head again. Just say, this is what I'm going to do. That's all you got to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm to make a big dramatic thing about it. And, uh, and then we're going to celebrate this time up to Easter. All right? That's what we're going to do. And it's a way of telling this flesh part of us, okay, stop. Stop, stop, stop. And focus more on spiritual things. It starts with Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is going to be a wonderful time of just prayer and repentance. We're going to gather together. Just ask God to forgive us for our, the sins that we struggle with and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and it's going to be a fun service. Uh, we'll be with our campuses at the same time doing this. And we'll be connected live here until we come to the uh, putting the ashes on the forehead. Uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's a time of reminding us that we are mortal. And then at that point, the campuses will break away and do their own thing. And then at the end, we're going to break our, you know, we encourage you don't eat dinner that night and just come fast. That'll be the first thing of denying yourself. Come just to the service. We do this. And then afterwards, we're all having soup and stuff, right? Do we have enough soup for everybody? We figured that out. There's still a sign-up. If you make something really good, please sign up. All right? Because I want to taste it. But anyway, so then, then after that, we, we'll, we'll do the soup and, and things uh, afterwards. And that'll be the beginning of Lent. Now, that means if you want to be anointed with uh, this start and prayer and the ashes and stuff, uh, all y'all at home, there is no online version of this. You can watch online if you like, but there is no online version of someone anointing you and, and putting these ashes on your forehead. You want to get that experience? You have to come. Now, understand people are very concerned. Uh, let me just reassure you, everything is very clean here. Those of us who will be anointed, you will have extremely clean hands. And uh, if you want to wear a mask, then by all we means, wear a mask. But at some point, you know, and I know, you want to be smart about these pandemics. And this isn't to slam people who are really terrified by this thing. But at some point, you cannot change the Christian principle of laying on of hands. It is something the Bible talks about. Jesus laid his hands on lepers who were extremely contagious, all right, and healed them. Uh, now, that doesn't mean just be a stupid idiot and do things that, you know, are not wise. And stuff. So I'm, I'm all for being smart and stuff. But at some point, there is that human connection where we believe God does something. And we call it the laying on of hands. So let me encourage you. Uh, if you can get past whatever concerns you have, again, everything will be clean. Hands will be very, very washed. And, uh, and then we will anoint you with oil and stuff. And you can wear a mask if you want. But I, should, I would encourage you, come and do this. 
receive this blessing as we go into the time of Lent. If you don't want to, it's fine. Nobody's going to bother you, and I'm not going to criticize you in any way, shape, or form. But at some point, we have to believe what the Bible talks about. We need, at some point, we need to get back together again. At some point, this needs to get over. And if this drags on for years, and it might, I don't know what this, you know, talk about it's mutating into different things. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, nobody wants to die from it. I get it. Nobody wants to get sick. Uh, but at some point, it doesn't change what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together uh, of believers. And now we're doing this. We've been doing it for years. Some churches are still cut down. Yeah. I get it. It's easy for them to clap because they're already here. But for users, I know it's a struggle for you. And I'm not trying to force you to do anything. I'm just saying you need to start realizing at some point this needs, we need to change the way we do life. And, uh, and we're not going to all run around in bubbles. We're just not going to do that. There is a human contact thing. It is a biblical concept of gathering and prayer by the laying on of hands. Is In fact, most of the miracles in the Bible happen as a direct result of one person laying their physical hands on another person, even those who were contagious. And God did miraculous things. So, again, tossing it out to you, I would encourage you to come, whatever campus you're near and stuff like that, and uh, take whatever precautions you want to take. But uh, at some point, we need to reconnect again. So that is going to be the start of our Lenten experience. And we're going to try and put this emphasis on rising our spiritual thinking and lowering our physical thinking so that we can prepare our hearts and minds uh, for Easter that's coming up that we're going to celebrate. And again, always to remind ourselves that everything is temporary. The Bible says from ashes you came and to ashes you will return. That's the beauty of uh, Ash Wednesday. Just reminding, you are dust. We are all dust. We're just walking around and someday we will all end up dust again. Even Elisha and <laughs> Enoch are going to have to die and deal with. I don't know, they probably don't get to dust. They'll be there three days before they're raised. So I guess they get a pass. Anyway, uh, so all that to celebrate the season of Lent that we're going in starts this Wednesday. Again, let me encourage you, skip dinner Wednesday night. You will not die, all right? And tell your body to just hush up. Come, let's stand before the Lord. Let's be anointed with oil in the presence of God. And then we can break our fasts and stuff and go into the season of Lent. And again, you get Sundays off. Hallelujah. All right. Does all that make sense? All right. Three people. Yes. Okay, good. We're there. I'm a great communicator. <laughs> all right. Let's go to our time of communion now. And our musicians can come back up. Uh, we celebrate this as another one of the things that we do out of Christian tradition. We celebrate uh, communion every Sunday. Historically, Christians have always celebrated communion every Sunday. Most evangelical churches and stuff don't. They go like once a month or every other month or whatever. Not to slam them. It's just we do it because it's consistent with faith and with Christian tradition. So that's why we do what we do. And it's a great time because it always reminds us why we're here. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why would he say that? Because we forget. It's so easy to forget what this is all about. We need to constantly remind ourselves. We are here. We are doing this. Our lives have been changed for one reason and one reason only. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world that we might have life. We celebrate his body that was broken for us so that we could be whole. We celebrate his blood that was shed for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. 
And the scriptures always encourage us. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, before you take communion, examine yourself. Where are you at with God? And most of us could use a time of resetting. And I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads. And I'm going to pray a general prayer of forgiveness over all of us. And while I'm doing this, if you can think of something special, maybe the Holy Spirit will remind you of something you've been doing or you shouldn't have been doing or whatever. You know, just mention it to God. And and let's ask for God's forgiveness and do a reset uh, before we take communion together. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in any way, thought, word, or deed, something we've done, something we didn't do that we should have done, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved others as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we ask you to forgive us and have mercy on us. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit and keep us in eternal life. And as our heads are bowed and we are praying, Maybe you're a first-time visitor. I don't know, you've been here a hundred times. I don't know. Maybe you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. You're watching online. Somehow you found us on the internet and you've been listening to this. And you think, you know, I've never experienced what you're talking about. Why don't you just ask Jesus right now to come into your life? Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. And you can take your first steps of faith this morning and hopefully experience what we're talking about, being born again and having the life of God come into you. And that's what we celebrate today. All right.